Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Toro, and joining me every week is Robert Selba. And Robert, we're so happy to have you here. I know, obviously, you and your family must be going through a difficult time right now, and I think I speak for all of boxing when I say, you know, we're here for you, we support you, and we're sending you a, a ton of love and positive vibes it, during this time so but regardless we're here and you know hopefully we can have a, a, a fun show and you know and, and as we always do robert so and i appreciate everybody's support out there uh god bless you all and uh we get to start with a uh, a fun uh top rank card uh, um <laughs> you go ahead and set it off i mean well <laughs> i like the show I'm not going to say the main event was fun. Edgar Berlanga versus Steve Rolls. This was Berlanga's first fight since the win against Marcelo uh, uh, Coceres. And Berlanga got dropped in that fight. Afterwards, he had show, he had surgery. And this was his first fight headlining the Garden. Technically, it was the Hulu Theater. But it's still the Garden regardless. It was sellout of over 5,100 and Berlanga did not look great. He did not look good. He didn't really... He really didn't... see. I didn't see a lot of improvement from Berlanga in this fight compared to some of his last couple of fights. He did get a 10-round decision over rolls, 97-93, 97-93, 96-94. Berlanga still has a lot of the bad habits that he's been showing in recent fights, really trying to do everything he can to, you know, get that home run swing that that he's known for. Doesn't really do a lot of boxing. Uh, you know, the fight was not good. It was not really entertaining. Not all of it was on Steve uh, on Berlanga. Steve Rolls sort of had a hand in it too. He really wasn't engaging a whole lot. He was sort of trying to I, at times it wasn't even trying to outbox Berlanga he seemed a lot more wary of the kind of power that Berlanga possessed and you know when you got one guy who doesn't want to be hit and one guy who can't hit it really does not make for a, a really fun fight but there were a lot of stuff that this fight showed that really kind of tells you that Berlanga is so much farther from being an elite boxer than maybe we even thought his jab was not there. He didn't really show it a whole lot once you kind of take away his, his you know, his very st- extremely heavy hands and knockout power. He does still doesn't know how to cut off the ring, still doesn't know how to fully jab, can't really defend the jab, even if it's against a guy who is noticeably smaller and shorter than Berlanga. Uh, but I'm willing to preach patience with Berlanga because... He's still very, very green, but after that 16-fight knockout streak, now goes the distance in three straight fights, and, you know, I don't see a massive jump in 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 his performance every single time out now. It's, he's still very, very young, still very green, but, I you know, I don't see a contender right now in Edgar Berlanga. He's still a a, law, a long-term project as far as uh, boxing prospects are concerned. He will never be a contender. He will always be a pretender. It is what it is, man. Uh, the top rank 
and Mark Kriegel and Timothy Bradley could make all the excuses in the world. Andre Ward called it like it, like he said. He said, no, you can't blame a shoulder injury for his last performance against Caceres. He is who he is. He's a one-trick pony. I've been saying this since we started this podcast. My eyes do not deceive me. He's a one-trick pony. Look at the difference between him and a much younger Xander Zayas. Xander Zayas, even though his fight went the distance, showed you the tools of a future elite, future great middleweight champion. Belanga is going to be a run-of-the-mill, uh, exciting TV fighter because eventually he's going to get into brawls because he doesn't jab. He doesn't know how to cut off the ring. His defense is non-existent. They talk, he complained about Steve Rose running. How was it that Steve Rose outlanded him in throughout the 10 rounds? He landed more punches than, than uh, Belanga. If this, all Belanga had to do was go to the body, he could have broke Rose down like Triple G did. No, he's looking for that home run shot, and he's always going to look for that home run shot. He, shot. He's got a tremendous trainer, and if Andre hasn't taught him by now, he's never going to teach him. He is who he is. He's a poor man's Jeff Lacey, a poor man's David Lemieux. And the minute he fights a very good counterpuncher with power, he's going to wind up the night in the hospital. He is what he is. Xander Zayas, on the other hand, is who he is. And that kid is the one top rank should be pushing. Forget the Nico Walshes and the Edgar Belangas of the world. It's Xander Zayas. That's the next big thing for top rank boxing. And they need to start putting him in the main events and start putting this overrated one trick pony in the main events. Yeah. And, and, and to quickly go back on Berlanga, I mean, I get that Steve Rolls wasn't really willing to engage, but at the same time, there were moments in that fight where Rolls was sort of moving, constantly moving to his right. And Berlanga could have tried to cut off. He the was just following him, Carlos. He was just following him. The, the Rose could have been hit all night long. He could have. It, 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 I mean, God, Lord, it was it was hot. Like you said, Carl, it was hard to watch. And how old is he now? Uh, 24, I want to say. And he had a long amateur career. There's no excuses for him to be the way he is. It's not like he started fighting after five amateur fights. He had a very good amateur career. They're throwing out excuses. There's no excuse to make for where he is right now. He is who he is. You get to this point, and there's not going to be any improvement. What? Oh, because he's going to step up in competition, Carlos, and these guys know exactly what to do. Um, but uh, Xander Zayas, who barely had an amateur career, look how far he's come. Oh, and he keeps improving. I just, ladies and gentlemen, just compare the two fighters, and you'll see the difference in styles. You see the difference in pure boxing ability. Yeah, one guy can knock you out with one shot. But when he fights the very good fighters coming up, he's never getting that opportunity. Um, how many elite fighters have Jeff Lacey and David Lemieux beaten in their career? And they're better than Berlanga. And this was the fight for Berlanga to really silence a lot yes. of critics and show that he is more than what we have seen so far in his first 18 fights. And he did not look great. He didn't show out. And, I mean, this was the... They put him in this main event. He's at the Garden. It was a sell-off over 5,100. 
Uh, I mean, I don't know what the ratings are going to come. Uh, you know, I don't know what the ratings because we're recording this right before the ratings, ratings out, right. are, are supposed to come mm-hmm. out, which I'm very interested in. Uh, but they want him to be this big star, and he needs it's, to deliver. It's, it's not. It's not going to be a massive rating because uh, the NCAA tournament was on. Yeah, NCAA yeah. tournament's been dominating the rating, so it it should be a decent rating compared to what was being shown because we know. This time of the year, NCAA basketball rules. The NBA doesn't even go up against uh, the NCAA. Yeah, so the plan, they, they hope to have him back in the ring for uh, the Puerto Rican Day Parade back at the Garden. And same with uh, Sander. Now, and, and I understand that, you know, obviously not every prospect needs to knock out every single opponent to be good. But think about this. When you have a guy, let's say, for example, like a couple of years ago, when you had a, a Virgil Ortiz go up against Sergei Lipinets, and, you know, I think that people would have been fine if, you know, Boots Ennis just dominated towards the 10-12 round, uh, round decision, however long that fight was, and just, you know, he got the win over a former world champion. But no, he dominated that fight. He showed he's levels above what the competition is... Is being presented to him. Oh, but but Belanga does. Belanga doesn't have Virgil Ortiz, Boots, Ennis, and Desires type skill level. That's what, not, that's what does, I'm saying. Those guys one, rise to the occasion. Belanga yeah. just didn't. And, that's because they they gave him 16 jokes to knock out in the first round, and after the tenth fight, he started getting that buzz, and people started, "Oh, he's knocking everybody out." Man, I have seen this my entire 46 years of watching boxing. There has not been one guy that had a record like that who went on to be an all-time great that was knocking out everybody in the first round. Anybody remember a fighter named Alex Stewart who set the record for most consecutive knockouts by heavyweight? The minute he stepped up against the Mike Tysons and Michael Morris and George Foreman of the world, he got beat by all those guys. No, you don't. You can't develop a guy by not by having him knock out everybody one after another after another. You got to put him in with real competition. With Mike Tyson, in his second year of, of, of his development, they put him in with the with, with, with the James Tillises and the and the Mitch Blood Greens, real fighters. They we no longer were they serving him tomato cans. They kept serving Belanga tomato cans, and now. He's fighting not even B-level competition, C-level competition, and he's struggling. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to end up well for Belanga. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I'd bet I'd bet my lady's mansion and <laughs> all the money in my bank to say it's never happening with him. Well, Xander Zayas, the total opposite. Xander Let's talk looked- about a real – talk about a real, real uh, – I'm not even calling him a prospect anymore. He's a contender. Talk about Xander Zayas. I, I, I'm, I'm not calling him a prospect anymore. I, I, I'm still gonna call him a a, a prospect, but he because he could beat he could beat he could beat a whole bunch of 154 pound fighters out there right now. Yeah, I mean it's a very, it's kind of a wide open division after you know after Castaño and Jamel Charlo, but I I wouldn't go as far as say he's quite. Let there me ask yet. you. Let me ask you a question. Uh huh. Who's the more skilled fighter right now, Xander Zayas or Tim Zhu? I'm still Who's got say, better skills? I'm, I'm not saying Zoo's got better skills than Zayas. He's got a better jab than Zayas. He's got more power. Yes, 
He has better defense than Zion. We don't know either guy's defense yet because they haven't fought anybody. Uh, Zoo is more polished, but skill set level, Zayas has better skills. <laughs> I agree to disagree. It, and it, that'll it, be it, a um, great fight at 160 in a couple of years, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, so Xander gets an eight-round decision over Quincy Lovelace. No, 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 eight, save oh. that answer for next week because Zoo's fighting this week. <laughs> right? See how Zoo fight. Because Zoo's fighting his real first real test this Saturday. <laughs> He wins an eight-round decision, 80-71, 80-71, 80-72. First time in his career, he goes eight rounds in his, you know. This is still essentially, we're still just about ending year one of his run at 154 pounds. He spent the majority of his early career at 147. He's still a growing boy. He's only 19 years old, and he's already showing, a, you know, a drastic jump in improvement in his boxing ability. He was mixing up a lot of punches, wasn't being reckless defensively. He's I, I see a little bit of improvement right there. It's not fully polished there yet, but he's getting better. He had Quincy hurt early on to the fight. Couldn't do it, but he wasn't forcing anything that wasn't there. He he's fighting a lot smarter and, than what most and, 19-year-olds are, you know, are comes. fighting at this point. Everything he does is off the jab. He starts He starts and ends his offense with that left jab. You notice similar uh, styles in Quincy and Rose. They both were trying to survive by moving a lot. Mm-hmm. Xander wasn't following him around. He was breaking him down. He was walking him down with that jab, went to the body, threw combinations, hurt him several times, but didn't force it if the knockout came. The knockout came. Meanwhile, his uh, fellow countryman was throwing home run shots all night. You see the difference. Xander's uh, just, I mean, he's beautiful to watch. I said this on social media, on Twitter afterwards. He's got a lot of Gomez and Trinidad in him. The jab reminds me of Trinidad, Tito Trinidad's jab, and the boxer puncher reminds me of Gomez. If he could continue to have a lot of those guys in them, Sky's the limit for this guy. I'm going to make this prediction again. I've said several times. He will be the first legit great Puerto Rican middleweight champion in the history of boxing. And, That's my prediction. <laughs> and and before anyone asks, well, how come you're criticizing how come you're not criticizing Xander for going eight rounds where Edgar went no. went ten rounds and they're both young? Well, the difference here is that Berlanga is already, you know, he's five years older. He's already a lot more developed physically. Sander is only 19, and he's still, he's only in his fourth fight at 154 pounds. He's not even, he has not even grown up to the point where he's filling out uh, his frame for 154 oh. pounds. He's all, He only came in at like 152 and a half. So he is still growing. He is, mm-hmm. so he is still, he, so the, the jump in weight, I mean, his power is still developing, and you're putting in bigger guys in front of him. So, of course, he's gonna, you know, not be, not go knocking everyone out uh, like he sort of did uh, at the early part of his career uh, of his career when he was, was fighting at 147 pounds. But he looked good. But, I, but the difference between these two guys, Carlos, one is a boxer who knocks people out. The other is a puncher who has to knock you out yeah it's a huge difference yeah and, and the difference between 
mm-hmm. Xander and Edgar is. You strip off the power. What do you get? Edgar, you don't see much. And Xander, mm-hmm. you see a very skillful, still developing young boxer mm-hmm. who could be, you know, he could be elite within a couple of years in a number yeah, of weight maybe, classes. May, maybe within a year. We'll see, de- depending on who they keep putting him in the ring with. Um, I think it's time to take the kick gloves off of both these guys. Sink or swim time. Yeah. Uh, fully agree with you on that one. It's it, it's about time, you know, with Xander, I still think that, you know, you don't have to necessarily rush him. Don't Just don't put guys who are not going to bring anything to the table because that's how you develop bad habits. But you don't have to put, like, a top 20 guy. I mean, I don't know if there's any top 20 guy at 154 that top rank can get for, for Sander anytime soon. Yeah, who does top rank have at 154? That's a great – that's a really good question. Um, they're just going to keep feeding him tomato cans. I mean, here's the thing. 154 uh, is, is, is PBC exclusive. Isn't Tim Zoo a PBC fighter now? Uh, base essentially. Yeah. I mean, he's not yeah, with. So. He's not. I don't think he's signed with PBC, but I, you know, expect him to be fighting on more PBC cards, especially if he beats Terrell Gauthier. We'll talk about you that know fight what would later. Be, you know what would be a great fight a year from now? Um, you you could hold it Puerto Rican Day per, uh, uh parade weekend in New York at one fifty four. If this guy hasn't gone up to one sixty yet, mm-hmm. is uh. Xander Zayas versus Danny Garcia. Talk about a year from now. Ooh, that I would, like that. That. Sell, that would sell out the big garden, right? And um, both would get a big payday, and that would be a great test for Xander Zayas. Because Danny is still young enough, and he hasn't been in a lot of wars, to be a true test for Xander a year from now. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I doubt it's going to happen, but... Man, I doubt it's going to happen, but but you know. And we're back. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, Robert, you were talking about your little uh, fantasy booking of maybe, I think it was uh, within a year, maybe having Danny Garcia and Sanders Zayas facing each other. I mean, so because um, when is Danny going to fight again? I mean, Danny hasn't fought in a long time, and I don't. I, he's, I see all these other fighters, including Erislandi Lara, getting fights, but nothing for Danny. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I don't that's know. That's strange. It, it is a little bit strange, but, you know... I, I, you know, uh, fantasy, I think that booking, would... fantasy booking, if Danny doesn't fight Xander Zayas, already made matchup, maybe after he becomes a champion, both are from Philadelphia, welterweight title fight, Boots versus Garcia. In Philadelphia, I like that. I really, really uh, that that would like sell that. out the Wells Fargo, and it's an easy made fight. And Danny, you've known Danny for years; he doesn't duck anybody. And Boots wants to fight the best, so that would be a well. Danny doesn't have a shot in the world to beating Boots. It'd be a nice payday for Danny, and a nice step up for Boots. You could even make that for one of the vacant titles later on, if need be. I would love to see that. It would be a huge fight in Philadelphia. Both two of the most popular fighters of the last five years from Philly. All right, so I thought that we were going to have this at the end of the show, but I guess I have them right now. So Good. Do the, your thing. So the, I got the top rank uh, ratings 
490,000.14 rating in the 18 to 49 demo. It's kind of in line with what Top Rank has done so far this year. Uh, 490 would be it's the second high, uh, second best average so far this year between the three Top Rank cards. Same 0.14 rating. Uh, had a bit of an interesting uh, lead-in because it had the NCAA College Wrestling Championships uh, as their lead-in, but it also had the a little bit of a higher viewership because that was Gable Stevenson's last ever uh, NCAA match as he's going to WWE. So a lot of wrestling fans probably tuned in for for that one. But what was the rating for that? Uh, 632,000 viewers, 0.15 rating in the 18 to 49 demo. So top, so the top rank card. What what were the NCAA, uh, CBS and and so forth ratings for the for the uh tournament? So they did not have one on CBS. It was all mostly TNT and TBS. Trying to think. So the matchup that went against the top rank card was. The was four point three six seven million one point two one rating in the forty nine demo. Damn. Yeah, that you now, ladies and gentlemen, you see why the NBA doesn't put anything up against the NCAA tournament. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, highest rated uh, program of the uh, uh, of the evening, both in viewership and in eight ratings in the eighteen to forty nine demo. So. That is your top rank uh, viewership, which, you know, to be expected, went up against the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament, but, uh, had a, you know, retained most of their viewership from the NCAA, so, um, I, you know, I can't really say that it's a good or a bad, it's, it is what it is, because of the NCAA tournament, I, can't really make a I would, determination I, on I that. Would, I would call it solid, the hardcore boxing fans showed up, and um, whatever viewership, and remember... The fight didn't start. The main event didn't start until after midnight. So yes. a lot of the guys watching the tournament, if they wanted to watch the fight, they could have switched to ESPN. Yes, they they actually could have. They actually could have. Mm-hmm. Um, that fight card didn't end until one in the fucking morning. I didn't understand that shit. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I guess while I'm tweeting this, uh, and I guess this will essentially show what the. Uh, you know what time we are recording this episode, but Robert, uh, what were your thoughts on this Golden Boy card? Alexis Rocha looked really good against Blair Cops. It was pretty entertaining for what it was, but it was mostly one-sided, and Blair Cops was really in survival mode uh, for the second half of it. But Rocha ended up knocking out uh, Blair Cops. Uh, middle of the fight and what was, you know, a surprise welterweight main event given what happened with Virgil Ortiz. We'll get into that in just a second. But, Robert, what were your overall thoughts on the fight? Alexis Rocha is my star of this past weekend. To me, he was the star of the weekend. Uh, Blair Cobbs, I like Blair Cobbs. He's a colorful fighter. Uh, I thought that he could develop into a, a, a an elite fighter. I was wrong. He got the shit beat out of him. And it just goes to show you, concentrate on your opponent. He was calling out Boots and Spence, talking about their ducking him. At first, I haven't heard about that. Uh, he got his ass handed to him. He took a severe beating. Kudos to Alexis Rocha, who now becomes a viable opponent 
for a Virgil Ortiz down the line, for a Boots Ennis down the line. Career-defining win for Alexis. Back to the drawing board for Blair, who fought with no flair, Cobbs. Yeah, it's it's a good... I mean, I like this fight, and I like Rocha. I thought he looked pretty darn solid. And, I mean, look, Blair Cobbs... He, I mean, to say that he's not charismatic, it would be oh, just flat yeah. out lying. He's extremely charismatic, but he, and he's always been in really entertaining fights, but he, I never really quite saw, you know, an elite fighter, an elite welterweight in him. I mean, he was still, I mean, I don't want to go into the social media side of things, but, you know, I find it really fun. There was a whole back and forth he had with Errol Spence Jr. and Errol, you know. He was trying to diss them, calling him, you know, a 33-year-old prospect. But, I mean, that is a big detriment to Cobbs. The fact that he's at this level and he's in his 30s. That's never a a good sign. And losing Angelos at this stage uh, would be a massive step backwards. He'll still be entertaining. He'll still be in really good fights. But Mm -hmm. I don't really see a world champion in in Blair Cobbs. No, no. He's he's going to be that type of fighter that you pad your record against. In order to go to that next level, you got to beat a Blair Cops. That's it. That's what he's going to be for the rest of his career. Yeah. So, overall, I thought it was a good fight. And uh, co-made event, Michael McKenson uh, looked pretty darn solid and with a replacement opponent towards the end. Uh, the, obvious, the obvious story uh, is, uh, is the whole thing with Virgil Ortiz. And we had uh, discussed this earlier. Mm-hmm. Last week, uh, yes, we, did. we didn't know quite a lot about uh, about what had going on. We didn't even know the status of the card up to that point uh, by the time we recorded. And obviously, the card went through, new main event, new opponent for Michael McKinson. The story still was on Virgil Ortiz after he uh, got uh, rhabdomyolysis, which is not a not something to joke about. And during the card... During the DAZN broadcast, and we had an interview with Bernard Hopkins, who is a uh, Golden Boy exec. The interesting thing, there were two things that really jumped out at me. Uh, number one was the was that Bernard, if you're reading between the lines, it's easy to figure out that he really got Virgil got rabbed though, mostly because of dehydration, which is not much of a um, not much of a surprise, given that you know obviously this is a big guy who's had trouble going to 147 uh, for a while, and he essentially said you know he even he's basically telling Virgil yeah no let's go to 154 he should go to 154 as soon as possible which I fully agree. The other thing that really jumped out at me was he said that they hope that Virgil is back by Cinco de Mayo week. So essentially, the uh, it's by Cinco. No, I missed that. That doesn't make sense. Or even sooner. Oh, I I detriment to his health. No, I don't. And obviously, these are not concrete plans. But man, I would not. I would not put Virgil. Even if it's at a 154-pound fight, I would not put him. I would not put him in there. That's so soon. 
We, I mean, no, no, he he should at the least, in my opinion, he shouldn't be fighting at least till after July first. Yeah, just to be safe. Yeah, yeah, and look, I'm not saying that you know, you know that we need to wrap Virgil in in, in bubble wrap or anything, but you know, to put him out there. Less oh. than two months after go- getting wrapped up, I think that's a really bad decision. And look, I don't think, and I don't know if Bernard even understands entirely the whole thing with Rapto. Maybe I, I yeah, but you could, know what, Bernard, Bernard and Oscar are close, and I don't think Bernard would get on television without Oscar knowing what he was going to say beforehand. I don't believe that. Uh, I, I think everybody is in the, is on the same page. I don't like this. Uh, they need to be very careful with, with, with Virgil. He's a very talented young man. There's the type of illness that could end the guy's career if he comes back too soon. Yeah. Um, and look, and, and we even said it last, you know, last week that given the statements, both guys, um, both Virgil and Golden and Oscar De Hoya, uh, had said, and, you know, the fact that they were not, you know, they believed that he was going to make a return sooner rather than later. But this does, but this just feels like it's way too soon for me. Way too soon. Way, way too soon. And, you know, I don't think that they're going to, ultimately, I don't think they're going to put him, you know, in two months in the ring. I do think they're going to put him back, you know, say June, July, while they find an event and... You know, find an opponent for Virgil because obviously now you're gonna be thinking. Now he's got to go to 154. Now you're gonna be thinking of what opponents that are out there for him. It's slim pickings for a guy as good as Virgil uh, for 154 because, as we had said earlier, PBC has full control. You know, they got everyone essentially at 154 pounds. So, I mean. Yeah, obviously, given what happened with the Mungia Charlo negotiations, I don't think PBC is real excited to be engaging and talk to his Oscar De La Hoya to fight uh, to f- find an opponent for Virgil Ortiz at 154 pounds. So <laughs> you ain't lying. <laughs> oh my goodness, <sighs> man! Robert Re- uh, Oscar really put his foot in his mouth when it, uh, in this whole situation with Charlo and Mungia. He really, he really did. Um. Basically was saying, it said in an interview that he wanted to try and get the zone involved. Um, you know, Munguia is the B-side. He's not the champion. I, Steven Espinosa and PBC were willing to make concessions as far as letting the zone handle the inter- certain international rights to the fight. There was no need to try and bring... Um, the zone into the U.S. side of things. I like what Stephen Espinosa ha- sort of had presented. Uh, he was saying this on social media and during the Showtime schedule is, you know, Showtime would have control of the U.S. broadcast rights for the first fight between Charlo and Munguia. And if Char- if Munguia wins, then you know what? The zone gets to have the rematch. I like that. Let me Let me ask you a question, Carlos. Since Oscar and PBC, since PBC was formed and Oscar had the falling out with Al Heyman several years ago, was going on several years now, has Oscar worked with PBC? Um, I don't believe so. 
Would you? Because uh, mm. remember, well, hold on. Well, wait, hold I, on. Would you consider the Canelo Danny Jacobs? Because even though Danny was promoted by Matchroom, he's, well, I think he still had Al Heyman as an advisor. Yeah, but he wasn't a PBC fighter. Al Heyman was still his advisor, but he was basically advisor in name only. I'm talking about a fully entrenched at the time PBC fighter. Um, boy, I can't remember off the. I don't. Oh wait, so. actually, actually, yeah. Um, Jojo Diaz versus Gary Russell. Yes, there you go. My bad. Yes, because Jojo is a top is a Golden Boy fighter. Yes, yes, that might be the only instant in, instance. Right, right. Because remember, for several years, Oscar and Al Heyman together were making a ton of money with the Floyd Mayweather pay per views. Yeah. <laughs> Because Oscar was feeding him one fighter after another for, for Floyd to, to shine against, including <laughs> Canelo. <laughs> right. So, essentially, yeah, yeah. It, it, we have a, um, yeah, so not a whole ton of stuff that could be worked. But anyway, so obviously I really hope that um, Oscar, I really hope that Virgil gets a good opponent. But I also hope that he gets the actual time to be able to work uh, to mm-hmm. get get healthy and everything because man it's uh it's quite a quite a journey to have to go back uh, to come from getting wrapped though and then go back to fighting that's which that's not mm-hmm. oof, not exactly a, a great uh not exactly a great thing to have to go for it but hey you you saw the fighters who who had difficulty recovering from COVID. This is even more serious. Yeah, in some regards, yeah. Mm-hmm. In some regards, yeah, so. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm just... Whew, boy. Um, now, let's see what we got. Because, obviously, there's a lot of fights coming up this weekend. And... But I'm trying to think... What other news that we... Ha- All right, before we forget, how could I forget? Uh, did you by any chance see the Kenshiro Teraji versus Masamichi Yabuki fight? No, I heard about... I was at work when I found out the results. Uh, congratulations to Kenshiro, who looked horrible in their first fight and came back with a dominant performance. Kudos to Kenshiro, who regains his title with, what, a third-round stoppage. So, Kenshiro Teraji versus Masamichi Yabuki, which on paper could have been the absolute best fight uh, of the weekend, uh, ended up essentially being the most one-sided fight uh, of this past weekend. It was a rematch for their WBC light flyweight title. Yabuki scored one of the biggest upsets of the year last year when he beat Kenshiro for the belt. And Kenshiro was laser focused on this one. He was absolutely mauling Yabuki from the start of the fight, dropped him in the third round, stopped him seconds later, regains the title in less than eight minutes. This was a a one-sided beatdown, and Kenshiro looked phenomenal in this one. It was a card in Japan that, um, boy, that, you know, 
A lot of effort to trying to get that fight. You needed a VPN to get you a feed in Japan. Then you needed to go get a subscription to a bet to. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. Um, a belly or a or some uh, a belly TV. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but uh, a Japanese streaming service. And man, there was a. I mean, it was a good show. It was a pretty decent card and very well-paced card. I think we were done in like two and a half hours for a five-fight five card. And But yeah, Kenshiro Teraji looked phenomenal. And that 108-pound division, my goodness, it's, it's really stacked right now at the top. You got Kenshiro Teraji, you got Hiroto Kayaguchi, Esteban Bermudez, Felix Alvarado, Jonathan Gonzalez, and you also got Carlos Canizales waiting in the mm-hmm. wings of fighting, yep. uh, looking to fight Esteban Bermudez. No idea when that fight's going to happen between Bermudez and Canizales. That fight was ordered a couple of months ago after Kayaguchi uh, suffered an injury. So no real update on that from between Bermudez and Canizales. I wouldn't doubt that it's going to land on a Golden Boy show in the, com- uh, in the coming months, but... Uh, man, that that 108 pound division, that is a stacked division, if you ask me. At the top, lots of fun fights. Yes, yes. One of the most stacked divisions in boxing right now. So, so that was, I guess this that was your most of the recap. We had a couple of Dubai shows. Nothing super noteworthy. Sonny Edwards uh, defended his IBF flyweight title against Muhammad Wasim. Very one-sided uh, for the most part. Sonny Edwards looked great as usual. The phenomenal boxer. Mm-hmm. Arguably the best flyweight in the world right now. Uh, you also got... Uh, it was a two-day card. Regis Progress beat Tyrone McKenna in a WBC uh, junior welterweight title eliminator. I'm very perplexed as to what they're going to do with the WBC uh, junior welterweight title. Because Jose Cepeda is the mandatory challenger. He's he, he's guaranteed a title shot. But Jose Ramirez won a title eliminator a couple of weeks ago against Jose Pedraza. Now, Pro Bellum was billing this fight against uh, uh, Tyrone McKenna as, a, as another title eliminator. So now you have three guys. Jose Cepeda, Jose Ramirez, and Regis Progre either becoming the mandatory challenger or already won a title eliminator this kind of this really does not make a whole lot of sense i i don't know if maybe the plan is if if and when josh taylor vacates that title that we get Re, that we got Regis and Jose Ramirez face off, and the winner fights Jose Cepeda. But then that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense because that would mean Cepeda would have to wait a long time. Or I, I don't know. This is very, very. What they what they could always do is have Cepeda and Ramirez fight for the vacant title, and guarantee Regis the winner. That they must face Regis the very next fight. That's all I can see they could do. It doesn't make sense for two guys to fight for a chance to fight the number one contender. What the fuck does the number one contender do all that time? Right. So, I don't know. Um, it'll be an interesting uh, interesting thing to watch. It, it's still criminal that uh, Caterall and Progress 
do not get shots right away at yes. vacant titles. Yes. Once Taylor so, leaves. So pro so the new WBO rankings are out. Jack Catterall, right? I think we explained this uh last week. We talked just about it recap. last week. Yes, yeah. but Catterall jumped, uh, dropped from number one to number three. Only saving grace for Catterall at this point, right now, outside of his outside of Catterall's uh, new promoter, Pro Bellum, which is another another big piece of news. Uh, Catterall signing with Pro Bellum, so now Pro Bellum has Pro Grace and Jack Catterall under the same promotional uh, stable. I suppose you could ask Trident uh, Pro Bellum could on. Ask the DWBO to get him a, a title shot, but anything barring that, the only saving grace Catterall has of getting another shot at the WBO title would be if instead of one fight to determine a champion, number one versus number two, they would order a four man box off, which has happened in the past. They've ordered the WBO has ordered that in the past, but who's, the, who's the number four contender in the WBO right now? Um. Let me check. Cause I, I think it used to be Arnold Barboza, but he dropped to number six, if I'm not mistaken. Right now, that would be Jose Ramirez, which wouldn't work. After that, it's Jose Zapata, which wouldn't work. And after that, now would be uh, Arnold Barboza. How the fuck is Arnold Barboza ahead of Regis Progress in the WBO ratings? I don't. Well, I, I don't know. It doesn't make goddamn sense. I, I really. It, it Who's does... the more accomplished 140 pounder in his career? The only guy Progress ever lost to was Taylor. And even then, that was his. You know, you can you can make an it argument. It was ra- it was razor thin. It was a razor thin decision. Yes, agreed. Regis Progress, like I said before, in my opinion, is the second best 140 pounder in the world after Taylor. And once Taylor leaves, he's my number one. Where does the WBO have him ranked? Do they have him ranked? Uh, they have him ranked at number seven. There are not six junior welterweights in the world better than Regis Progress, as you saw, as you see throughout his career. Yeah, it doesn't. It does. It does, it does feel sense. like at this point, some fighters are still being punished for for a loss that they shouldn't be punished. That, that years hard. ago, that happened years ago, and he never got a rematch. Never got a rematch, never got put in, you know, at the number one or the number two slot, or at least he's not there presently in any of the sanctioning bodies. Does feel a little criminal, in my opinion. And he's the number three contender in the WBC, a title he once held. I don't understand this. Don't, don't, don't. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) And Teofimo Lopez going to number two. Sounds so much like Bob Arab interfering with his political pull in the WBO. No. I, it doesn't make sense. A lot he of, never fought at 140. Everyone knows how I feel about the certain positioning of these uh, sanctioning body cards. Never, never been a fan of them. But, you know, what, what, what can you do? It's well, I will say, I will say, with... Jack Catterall and Regis Progray under the same promotional umbrella, and Catterall having an eye on that Progray Tyron McKenna fight. I would, I mean, Jack Catterall versus Regis Progray's. Right now, you outside yeah, of Jose they, Ramirez, they, you they can argue that's make, the best fight at 140 right now. 
Pro Bellum shouldn't make that fight until one of these guys have a title. It should be a a non-title fight. I agree. I you know what? I agree. And but man, but just thinking about that fight, Regis Progress versus Jack Catterall, man, that's a really good fight. That has fight of the year potential written all over it. But that is currently where we're at right now with these uh with these uh, sanctioning bodies. Overall, not after that, nothing, not not a whole lot of stuff. But that's sort of where we stand right now. This weekend, there's a lot of really good boxing going on right now. The fight that I think most people are very interested in: Tim Su versus Terrell Gauthier, Showtime card. Uh, Michelle Rivera versus Joseph Adorno and Elvis Rodriguez versus Juan Jose Velasco is your undercard. Pretty darn good main event for with a pretty darn good triple header, if I do say so myself, for Showtime. By the way, you just answered the question I had asked last week, and I forgot who they were talking about putting Javante in after Raleigh. Rivera. Yeah, I... Well, and I've been saying that for a while. Michelle Rivera makes a lot of sense to be built up as a potential fight for Javante Davis. It doesn't have to be right this instant after their next fights, but I can absolutely see this being a main event in 2023. I think Rivera, I you can it, do that I fight at 135 or 140. I can see that this year. I mean, who's uh, Tank going to fight after Raleigh? Oof. Good question. I don't know. I, I I don't know. I don't envision a guy like Ryan Garcia or uh or whoever or you know what about what about the winner what 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 the is oh question I wanted to ask you how serious are the rumors of Haney Cambosos? It's it's being discussed. I can't say how close they are, but I it's it's a very much a possibility now, especially with. It looking like Vasily Lomachenko is not going to be fighting anytime soon because he's still in the Ukraine. I don't think any. I don't think. I don't think any of those Ukrainian great fighters, like Lomachenko or Usyk, will be fighting anytime soon. Yeah, not as as long as that. That that war is not ending anytime soon. No. So, uh, you got to move on to the next step. The only other viable op- opponent for Cambosis is Haney. It's for an undisputed title. And Haney's the best guy other than Lobo available at 135. Yeah, yeah. And Haney's got nobody. Haney's got nobody fighting. Are both these guys the zone fighters, quote unquote? Haney and Cambosos? Yeah. Oh, Cambosos is not. He's promoted by. Oh Lee no, De- he's, a de- he's a developer. He's a developer fighter, so he's independent, right? Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, by the way, I want to thank Lou DeBella if anybody knows him. He sent me a DM yesterday regarding my son. I appreciate that, Lou. Um, back to this. On a scale of one to ten, mm-hmm. where do you think the odds are? With ten, 10 being, being the, the mo- with ten being essentially a guarantee. Yeah. Haney versus Cambosis. Uh, I'll put that as a seven. I'll put that as a seven right now. I like that. Okay, good. It's. Good. I would say it's more than fifty-fifty, but I'm not willing to go out and say it's a guaranteed shot that it's happening. But. That's, yeah, but yeah, we'll go back to yeah. the uh, the yeah. Showtime card. T- 
Tim Sue making this U.S. debut, going to Minnesota, going to have a pretty darn good crowd because PBC really knows how to build these uh, Minneapolis cards up. And Terrell Gachet is a very solid, very good guy at 154 pounds to be Sue's introduction uh, to the greater U.S. fan base out, out here. Whoever wins this fight, well, uh, by the way, uh, by the way, the wrong, the wrong initials. You gave the wrong initials. You said the greater USA. No, replace USA with PBC. <laughs> <laughs> so Sue, is, so Sue will make well. A lot of people will be seeing Sue for the first time ever. A lot of hype coming in. Those who have seen him fight, like Robert and I have. No, Tim Sue is for real. He is He's a guy that can absolutely give anyone in the division a lot of trouble and probably beat 99.9% of them right this instant. Sue mm -hmm. is the mandatory challenger for the WBO Junior Middleweight title. If he wins, he will get the shot. He will get a title shot, whether or not it's going to be with the other belts on the line or, you know, or whoever wins that Charlo Castagna rematch. Uh, vacates that you know we'll, we we will see, but I mean I expect Tim Sue to show up and look really really good because he's been doing that throughout his entire career. Yeah, uh, Terrell is a safety first fighter, solid boxer, not a great fighter. I see Zoo winning a workmanlike, impressive, overwhelming twelve round decision. Um, Terrell first six rounds. We'll give it his best shot, but once he sees he can't hurt Zoo or can't phase Zoo, he'll be in survival mode and try and survive. And Zoo wins an impressive 12 round unanimous decision to go on to a much earned and deserved world title shot. Right. And, you know, it's not like Tim Sue has been fighting, you know, tomato cans throughout his entire career. I mean, his last, the last couple of years, he's been facing off against a number of names. He, you know, got the dominant win over Jeff Horn, dropped him multiple times back mm -hmm. in 2020. He dominated Dennis Hogan uh, last year back in March. Uh, actually, we're about nine days away from the anniversary of that fight. And then in his most recent fight, just a complete performance against a very, very good veteran in Takeshi Inoue. Yes, winning every single round of that fight. So he's been in the ring with some good names. It's not like they have to the, they have developed him properly. They didn't put him in with stiff after stiff after stiff after stiff. They've walked the ladder. Now he's in with a world ranked fighter and then the next fight a title shot. So his progression, kudos to his people for the way they brought him along. And they didn't just, you know. To, uh, develop him into a really good boxer. They developed him into a star over there in Australia. Yep. And yeah, uh, he's a he's a legit star. He's a legit star out there in Australia. He one day he will be headlining on, on a stadium card out there. Yeah, a, a major stadium like a fifty, sixty thousand uh, soccer stadium. Yeah, yeah, or, or a rock, rugby stadium. Uh, yeah, no shame. Or, you're right. Yeah. Gachet looked really good uh, in his last time out against Jamonte Clark. Like, just absolutely decimated. I think a lot of us were very surprised that, of this. That was the best That was the best performance of his career, in my opinion, because for a long time, he was looking very lackadaisical, unmotivated. 
he was tremendous against Clark. Yeah, and showed a lot of life out there. But, you know, the one question that I got is, you know, that was a year ago. That was technically over mm. a, a, a year ago. It's like 12 and a half months ago. Oh. And you do not want that kind of, uh, you do not want to have that kind of layoff against a guy like Tim Sue, especially when you are in your mid thirties and Tim Sue is right, at, you know, just now entering his prime. Like this is not an ideal situation for Terrell Gauche, but I still think that he's going to be able to make things a little competitive for uh, Tim Sue. And the undercard, as I mentioned, Michelle Rivera versus Joseph Adorno. Uh, pretty solid, uh, pretty solid fight uh, between these two. Adorno gotta need really needs to show up because he's not exactly looked great in his last couple of uh, fights. Both of them in uh, draws against Jermaine Ortiz and Hector Garcia Montes. He hasn't gotten a win. This is an interesting stat. Joseph Adorno has not won a fight since 2019. Mm-hmm. He's only 22 years old. Which, so he hasn't won a fight since he was a teenager, essentially. And Michelle Rivera is coming into this fight with a lot of momentum. Look great against Jose Matias Romero winning that, that very... Uh, you know, that dominant 10-round decision. He looked great in a very, very good fight against John Fernandez. Uh, bounced back from w- when he got dropped in the middle of that fight and eventually stopped uh, John Fernandez in the eighth round. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in seeing this, this, uh, how these two look. Adorno really needs to show up. He really needs a signature win on his resume because he's quickly falling into that B-side type of fighter yep. where he's he's exactly. young. He, like, he's young, so he can still bounce back if he loses, but he really can't afford a loss at this stage when he's coming off two draws and no wins since 2019. It's a must-win fight for him. And for Rivera, I mean, it's also a must-win for him because if he wins, yes, he might yes. be getting Gervonta Davis next. If if not, he's going to be. I wouldn't doubt they put him up in a in a main event slot next because he's been getting a lot of backing from from PBC. They've been highlighting him on on Showtime, highlighting him on Fox. He is a guy, you know. I I know, obviously, I've got to admit the the whole like, look, he's you know. He's essentially Ali because he looks like Ali and everything. Like, okay, I get it. It's a little, not going to lie. Like, I'm, I'm starting to get way, a little bit tired of somebody, it. You want to see somebody that looks exactly like Muhammad Ali? Layla Ali's and Curtis Conway's son is the spitting image of her father. Forget all these other guys. Muhammad Ali's grandson, I believe his name is Curtis Conway Jr. Mm-hmm. Spitting image. I think he's 10, 11 years old. Man, he looks... Like a 10 or 11-year-old catch just Marcellus Clay. That, and, and he's got the same blood, right? Now, I don't, yeah, Mitchell Ali Rivera, let's stop with the Ali comparisons, all right? Let's just, he's a nice fighter. Let's hope he continues to progress. Let's stop with this Muhammad Ali comparison. 
<laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's a gimmick that has worked. And, look, he's extremely talented. I think you know that about that. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Um, and then you got Elvis Rodriguez versus Juan Jose Velasco. Rodriguez looked really damn good against Juan Pablo Romero. Looked really good. And that was the type of fight he needed after the loss to Kenneth Sims. And going up against a veteran who's been in the ring with guys like Regis Progress and Mario Barrios and Zachary Ochoa. I mean, that's, you know, this is the natural progression for a guy like Elvis Rodriguez. And it does seem like, at least from the outside looking in, he's kind finally starting to piece things together. And... A win if he if he fights like he did against Romero, then we might be in for a really really good run for Elvis Rodriguez, which you know obviously yeah. a blessing. I'm not saying you know getting fired is a good thing, but possible may, getting released by Top Rank was a blessing in disguise and may have lit a fire Ooh. under Elvis yes, Rodriguez and made him hungry. It made him improve his skills immediately. Which is something that you hope to see in a young prospect. And, you know, sometimes those types of things, they may be the catalyst for a really, really good run. And, you know, and listen, who's to say that Rodriguez may have continued fighting like he did against Kenneth Sims Jr. had he stayed with top ranks? Sometimes it just doesn't work out. Sometimes you need a change of scenery. Sometimes circumstances uh, dictate what... um, what your situation may be, but right now he's looking great. I'm looking forward to this fight, and Velasco uh, can show up for you know when he needs to. He's he's been knocked he's been knocked down quite a lot of times throughout his career, especially against Barrios and Regis Progress. But he's been on a solid solid run, especially with that uh, win against Zachary Ochoa last year. But as you know, as I said with uh, Terrell Gachet, and it applies here. Uh, you do not want to have a year-long layoff heading into a fight like a guy uh, against Elvis Rodriguez, against this version of Elvis Rodriguez. Mm. So this, so right now, that's a good, really good fight. Th- that whole card is going to be really good, in my but opinion. Damn, hey, like I've said over and over and over again, minus the pay-per-view circus shows that they put on with the Flake Brothers, the, the the Showtime cards, the last since the pandemic, easily the best fight cards on television. They uh, week in and week out with Showtime. When you, in addition to their Showbox cards, they give you quality boxing each and every time. Right, and we have. More boxing. We got uh, also a the zone card from Leeds on Saturday. Kiko Martina versus Josh Warrington, the rematch for the IBF featherweight title. Interesting way this uh, these guys, uh, these two's careers have progressed since they last fought back in 2017, where Warrington won a close decision against Kiko Martinez. A lot of us thought that if these two were to face off against each other uh, later on. That it would be Warrington who would be the world champion, as Warrington would, I believe, actually win the uh, win a world title 
a year, almost exactly a year after that win over Kiko Martinez. But since then, Martinez uh, has been middling around with fights against Gary Russell and Zelfa Barrett, either getting knocked down, uh, knocked out, or outright losing bad in you know in controversial fashion by the scorecards. But he bounced back with a phenomenal win over Kid Galahad. Uh, one of the best knockouts of 2021, and you know now it's Martinez, the A side, and and the champion Warrington. That I mean, since he dropped the IBF featherweight title, it's been a disaster mm. for yes. Warrington. Lost to Mauricio Lara, the rematch didn't even really get off the ground because the fight ended because of a head clash. And now Warrington is getting another shot at the title. I'm going to say, my personal opinion, a little undeservedly so. Because I think mm-hmm. Marisa Lara should have gotten, should have the, gotten, shot. Should have right. gotten the, the opportunity to fight. But regardless, we have this fight here. I'm, you know, I'm going to bet that Kiko Martinez is in for the fight of his life. But I'm also going to say... He's going to turn back Father Time one more time and win. Oh, I love it! I love this prediction. I don't agree with it, but I love it. (laughs) I pick Kiko Martinez to win a very, very close decision. And I understand I'm setting myself up for failure, but the momentum that Kiko Martinez has right now, what I've been, what I'm seeing from Josh Warrington, unless he becomes the fighter that he was. When he was beating Lee Selby and Carl Frampton, unless he becomes that fighter, I'm I'm just not. I just don't see Warrington having the aggression necessary to beat a guy like Kiko Martinez. Because if you, you let don't... Kiko Martinez uh, get into a rhythm, it becomes a much harder fight uh, to win. Who's to say, Carlos, that the beating he had he took at the hands of Lara? didn't take something physically out of him and that he's not the same fighter. Very well could. Very well could. And look, Warrington's not exactly known for his power. I, I know I've nope. got on the record saying his power is a little underrated and, and did the knockout uh, numbers are a little misleading, but I'm also not saying he's a Deontay Wilder type of guy. No. And he dominated Martinez in their first fight, but he was never close to putting him out. And man, this is a this is going to be a very good fight. I'm going to have Warrington win by controversial split decision. I agree with you that Martinez would be the deserved winner, but uh, I think Warrington wins by controversial split decision to set up a third fight, and then finally Lara will put Warrington out the pasture. (laughs) (laughs) uh, All jokes aside, Warrington's career is on the line in this fight. Martinez has already set his legacy. His career has already been defined. Warrington, they were talking about he's the greatest fighter ever to come from his country up until his first fight with Lyra. Now that's in jeopardy. Yeah, and obviously he is nowhere near going to be. I mean, maybe he's the best fighter to come out of Leeds, but not the UK. Not uh, not not for me. No, they were they 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 remember how they were trying to. Uh, oh, he could be the greatest UK fighter of all time now. You'd have to be put in a sanitarium to think that. We, his career's on the line. Uh, I know he's going to be highly motivated. 
the only problem I have, Carlos, mm. is he physically able to turn back the clock? That's a good question. And, and look, and it's not like Martinez was completely dominating Kit Galahad. But but I'm also willing to, uh, to believe that Martinez has learned from that first fight uh, all the way back in 2017. And he understands that it's also do for do or die for Kiko Martinez. I you yes. you're right. He already has established his legacy as one of the greatest fighters uh from Spain. But right. I don't think this is where Martinez wants to end it. Not at Oh, not he doesn't want to end it. He doesn't want to end it, but if he loses, people are not going to be looking down on him. They're going to they're already going to say he achieved more than what was expected. Warrington loses. Oh my God, the criticism he gets. Yeah. How could you lose to a guy much older than you that you beat five years ago? It will be relentless. Right, right. Now, speaking of what would happen if this if this guy loses, Miguel Burchell versus Jeremiah Nakatila is also on this uh, this weekend's card, headlining a top ranked card and. Miguel Burchelt needs a good performance after that loss to Oscar Valdez a little more than a year ago where he was not just outboxed but outslugged and got hit with one of the best knockouts of the year. And for a good while, that was the best knockout of 2021. He took a massive beating in that fight too. And now he's got a, you know, I don't want to say, I feel bad saying a soft touch, but... Jeremiah Nakatila did not look good, did not show up at all against Shakur Stevenson. Granted, it almost looked like Shakur didn't even show up for that fight either. But, this is a fight Taylor made for Burchell to look good. If Burchell doesn't look good in this fight, and God forbid he loses, where do you go from here? Because Burchell... Retirement. Retirement. Because if he loses badly in this fight to Jeremiah, he would have to take a lot of punishment, and he's taken a lot of punishment throughout his career. Remember the two Vargas fights; those were he took hell of a punishment in both those fights, despite the fact that he won. Uh, Valdez gave him that a type of beating that will last with him the rest of his career. Uh, he better win quickly and impressively for him to continue this quote-unquote quasi comeback. Right, and and I think that this fight, look, it's I'm not expecting fireworks from both sides. I, you know, I certainly expect it from Miguel Burchelt. I'm curious to see is he as predictable as he, you know, style wise, as he looked in the fight against uh, Oscar Valdez, or has he used the year and switched things up a little bit? Because Oscar Valdez in their fight. He did a good job at noticing Burchell's quirks and tendencies and quickly caught on to when's the best time to hit him, where to hit him. I'm curious to see if Burchell presents those kinds of things in their fight. And who knows? Maybe that'll be a a start of a glorious comeback for... Uh, Miguel Burchelt. Because Burchelt's still one of the most exciting fighters 
in, at 130, 135 yeah, he's pounds. One of the most exciting fighters, but if you look at the fighters at 130 and compare uh, uh, stylistically to uh, uh, Shakur Stevenson, uh, Oscar Valdez, Valdez already batted him once. Um, I, I I would pick I would pick your boy over Pichel if they ever fought. Uh, Jamal Herring. Could be, could be, and hey, you know, given that Jamel is likely going to white lightweight, and this fight between Burchell and Nakadila is at lightweight, I can see that fight happening. Be a that's, really good fight. That's a ready-made fight. That's a ready-made fight. Uh, for uh, for uh, I was about to say HBO for ESPN, the top rank, and th- there you go. Yeah, you could throw Lomachenko in the mix after he comes back after the Ukraine situation is is settled, is resolved. You could throw Lomachenko in the mix with Burchell and, and Herring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Burchell needs this win. He cannot lose. Yeah, there's a lot of big fights still out there for Burchell that lightweight, even if it's not for a title. All right, Robert, where uh, do we have anything left to discuss that you want to discuss? Oh, no, we, we covered everything that was on my plate. We're good. All right, Robert, where can the good people read your work and find you on Twitter? Twitter, my handle is Robert Silva 5768 uh, I write for the parent website of this podcast, Fight Game Media Network. Uh, right now, I'm doing my 45 greatest fighters the last 45 years. Recently, my number 18 fighter of the last 45 years article was written, was published and released on Andre Ward. It's there now. I just finished my number 17 Bernard Hopkins, that should be up within the next week. You can also find me on Twitter, at Carlos Toro Media. That'll do it for this episode of the Pound for Pound podcast. He's Robert Silva, I'm Carlos Toro, and we'll see you next week for another episode. Hope you guys enjoyed the fights, and we'll be back for another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast on the Fight Game Media Network. Have a great week, everyone. Goodbye.